The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. This woman grew up in a very conservative family. In this environment, she was taught to be independent and competitive. She was never in the typical school cliques, but was seen as a leader in many school activities. As a young girl, she wanted to be a veterinarian, but in high school changed her mind and decided to pursue medicine. In medical school, there wasn't many women and men seemed to hold the power. So she adopted a male-like behavior and became one of the guys. And as she moved through the years, her career in medicine and a successful support system continued to evolve. Today, she is not only the chair of radiology of a prominent medical hospital, but is also a champion of developing women leaders. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Sherry Cannon. Hi, Dr. Sherry. Thank you for joining me today. (laughs) Thanks, Annette. Nice to be here. We have so much to talk about, and we have limited time together, so I'm going to jump right on in. All right. So you told me that it is great to have goals to pursue, but that one needs to be careful of how you set your goals and direct yourself. So what did you mean by this and what advice would you give to other driven women about goal setting? Well, I I think there's a lot to unpack there. Um, First of all, as many people say, life is about the journey, not the end point. And I think that's that's the theory behind this. Um, for individuals that have gone through medical school, and I suspect it's the same for other areas, everything's measured in time. You do a semester or you do a month or you do a rotation away, and it's measured in weeks, months, and, and then you're assessed periodically with exams, board exams, et cetera. And so you find yourself saying, okay, once I get through this hurdle, then I will, whatever that is, fill in the blank, take better care of myself, start exercising, start eating better, start sleeping. And before you realize that you're 12 years into this journey and you've put everything off. And so I think it's important for people, no matter the stage, to really realize this is life that you're living now. It's not going to be in a month or a year. It's now. The other thing I see with leaders is they have a goal of where they want to be as a leader. If they want to be chair of a department, dean of a medical school, CEO of a business, and that's their goal. And I think that's great. However, if you focus so much on the goal and again, forget the journey or even worse, all of your actions are based upon that personal agenda to get from point A to point B then you've missed the whole point of leadership, of leading other people and helping others be successful. Because leadership is really about the team and about others who you support. It's not about your personal agenda. So again, while goals are important and key, they have to be taken in perspective. And, And finally, we may have an endpoint, a goal in mind, but you know that may change and, and, and life may have a different path for us. And if we have blinders to that, we may miss opportunities that are surprises to us. So you know you have to be a little bit flexible in, in your path. And I'm going to talk about this just for a second more because I think for driven women like you and I, uh, Dr. Sherry, and, and certainly those listening, we are so much about accomplishments and pushing and going for more that it is easy for us 
to end up at that next place and not feel fulfilled because we didn't enjoy the journey along the way. Have you seen this about yourself and others? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I'll speak about myself. I, you know, I, I share all this based upon experience, which means I share all this based upon my, my mistakes. And, and early on, absolutely. I was incredibly driven point A to point B. I had checklists, I had to do's, but, but as I've gotten older, more experienced and, and frankly, having kids, having a family, you realize that there, uh, you have to have a broader perspective. So I absolutely think it is a trap that we all fall into. And perhaps as women are, are even more prone uh, to doing this and we have to be aware of it and we have to be able to step back and say, okay, this is life. This is where I am and, and, and enjoy it for what it is. Now, you know, it isn't to say you shouldn't have drive. Of course you should. And, and you shouldn't push yourself. Absolutely. But everything is about balance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful perspective and wisdom there. So another thing we talked about previously is that women need to prepare and develop networks. So how important has this been in the upward momentum of your career? And, and what's the best way for women like myself to develop support networks? You know, I, maybe it's as simple as saying, just do it, be brave and put yourself out there. And I think look for opportunities that are beyond your microsphere. So for me, um, you know, my entire training, education, and then career has been medicine. And so that's my microsphere. But I had an opportunity to participate in a women's leadership program here in Birmingham called Momentum. And no one else in this program at the time was in the medical field. And so I was exposed to a remarkable group of women, all from different walks of life. And, and I realized how um, the perspective that they provided made me better at my job and had that network of really talk about diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of experience, and have this network of, of women that you then build these relationships, these trusting relationships with. Um, so I, I think we need to be very intentional about our networks. And I think we need to look for opportunities where we have collisions with other individuals, both men and women, who can provide this, these diverse experiences. Yeah, because it's it's kind of dangerous to build your network in a silo, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you don't need an echo chamber. Um, you, really, you really need to have trusting people that can tell you when your ideas are not good ones and when you're about to step off a cliff and that they're honest with you and, and provide that information. So, yeah, you, silos are typically not good. They're typically not good. Yeah, absolutely. So as a driven leader, it is easy to leave others behind. So how do you manage this aspect of your leadership? You know, that's probably my biggest lesson. Um, I, I am, you know, depending on what leadership assessment tool you use, the, the one that has to do with assertive, direct, dictatorial, you <laughs> name it, I, I score high in that. And, and I struggle with that, particularly early on. You know, you talk about the leader that they're leading and they look around and no one's behind them or, or, or worse, you know, they, they leave a wake of destruction behind them. Um, you know, it's all about emotional intelligence. And, and again, it's kind of back to that perspective. Step back, take a breath, 
take time to develop the relationships, build the trust, take time to invest in others and understand where they're coming from. Um, what are their vulnerabilities? And, and, and for me, it's, it's really just slowing down. It's, it's not powering through to the end, but really kind of slowing down and trying to be really thoughtful about every step. And, and emotional intelligence is very much a learned behavior. And, and, and much like exercise, with the repetitivity of it allows for you to develop it and, and hopefully, hopefully habituate it to some extent so that every time you make a decision, every time you have a public statement, you anticipate how this is going to land on everyone and and what what their concerns and fears will be about whatever decision or program it is and 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 you really have to force yourself to take that pause and think about okay what is he feeling what is she feeling how is this going to rock their world um and and although it seems like you're slowing down um you always hear the phrase you know slow down so you can go fast I'm convinced that that time investment up front will save you time on the back end trying to do the repairs. Which I gather you have experienced this yourself, haven't you? <laughs> I tell you. I can tell the sincerity that you're delivering this, that this has been a personal path that you've walked. <laughs> it is a very much a personal path that I have walked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have um, experienced that a bit myself. So how would you describe your leadership style? And would you change anything about this style? Um, so I, I am direct. I'm very deliberate. Um, I tend to move fast. And, and one thing I would change is, you know, try to temper that more. And I think now compared to 20 years ago, I absolutely have tempered it, but there's always room <laughs> for improvement. Um, I tend to be incredibly transparent. Um, I am very candid and, and I expect that of, of others. And, um, and, you know, some people have described me as fearless, which is not accurate, but they say that because I'm willing to say things and, and I don't shy away from those difficult conversations or, or difficult topics. Um, but it's not fearless. I mean, I, you know, when I have these conversations, in many cases, <laughs> I'm completely terrified and realize what I'm walking into. But I think, um, I think that's what makes a, a, a resolved leader is being willing to have those conversations in face of, of, of that fear. So I'm going to dig a little deeper on this one because I think there's a lot of wisdom in this for our listeners. And that is this ability to lead in the style that you have described and not intimidate those around you. Because when you're really intelligent and you're really driven and you tend to be several steps ahead of the team that you're leading. Have you found this? <laughs> you <laughs> know the answer, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, I have been told that I am intimidating and I think the exact words are, you know, you can scare the hell out of people. I mean, <laughs> so there's that. I kind of summed that up, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, but that pretty much sums it up. So, um, so, so I go into it knowing that and, and try to compensate for that and, and try to explain that although, 
I speak directly and I ask direct questions, it, it's not to be confrontational or difficult or authoritarian. It's just, I want to put it out there. And I expect people to have that same candor with me. And, and I temper it. Well, let's say I attempt to temper it um, by, by building those relationships and, and pausing periodically at the right time to talk to people about themselves, to talk about their lives. I mean, the people around me, I, I know their families and, and their, their desires in life and their kids who are struggling or their, their child who they're proud of. I mean, and, and so I think building those relationships and letting people, and, and letting people see when you're vulnerable. I mean, as, as many times as my um, people I've worked with have seen me be direct, they've also seen me be incredibly vulnerable. I mean, they've seen me cry, they've seen me be frustrated, and they've seen me make mistakes and, and, and be very public about those mistakes and own those mistakes. So I think when they see all aspects of an individual you know, they get to know you and understand that you're coming hopefully from a good place um, and a place that um, is good for the, for the team, for the group, and not just, you know, not my own personal agenda. So I'm going to not let this one go yet, because I, I think it's a tightrope that women walk because society does not expect us to be direct and, and forceful with our delivery, or nor do they expect us to address tough topics. They expect us to tiptoe around those. And I think when women like yourself that are, that are powerful and confident and self-assured in who you are and what you stand for, it throws them off. And they do wonder what to do with that. But I also suspect, and because I've seen it in other uh, strong women leaders like yourself, you don't know any other way to be. This is who you are. And to be otherwise almost seems a waste. Do you see this as well? I do. It is a tightrope. Um, and I have the advantage of leading in an organization that I have been in for over 25 years. And so I've had the ability to cultivate these relationships, which I think is really important. I anticipate if you were to pick me up from here and launch me into a brand new organization, I would have to throttle back even more um, because I, I wouldn't have um, have uh, those relationships and that trust to fall back on. But it it is absolutely a tightrope, and you know I often resort to humor um, in some of these situations when um, trying to make a point, trying to be strong, but you know don't want to just bulldoze the situation. I often my fallback and it. I think this is, a, it's not purposeful. I just, sometimes when I get nervous or when it's a difficult situation, I think humor can often diffuse um, sometimes the, the situation. Yeah. And I think that's great advice because that is a perfect place to use humor mm -hmm. is to diffuse the tension that you can feel building or to soften the edges around mm -hmm. what you are trying to deliver. And I suspect if you're right, that if they plopped you into a new organization, you might scare the bejesus out of them for sure. <laughs> I, I hope, hopefully I would be self-aware to kind of rein it in, but I think the first few weeks would be a little dicey. It'd be a little dicey, yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that you often struggle with admin support. 
And I, I suspect it's on the, the heels of what we've been talking about. So what do you see as your biggest issue when it comes to such support as admin? Um, I think I'm too demanding. You know, I, I, and, and I, I know they feel that way, but I, um, with, with all of my team, be it my administrative support, um, my other vice chairs, you know, I expect people to be lockstep with me and, um, and I'm frankly easily frustrated when they are not. And, um, and, and in some respects, my administrative person has to manage an unbelievable array of activities all the way from academic work to clinical leadership to professional organizations to a schedule that is completely impossible to manage. And, and I expect them to do this. And, um, and it's probably, if I were to step back, it's probably not a reasonable expectation. <laughs> but you're still expected. Well, and, and I'll tell you something about this because I am very much like you. And I struggle with admin support because I feel like that, um, in fact, I almost avoid having admin support because it stresses me out, Mm. which is interesting because it should be the other way around. Admin support is supposed to make your life easier. Right. But I I try to remember some of the people that I have worked for that have been tough bosses and expect a lot. And what they did, they made me better. It wasn't comfortable, but they made me better. Mm-hmm. So I kind of softened my admin attitude and saying, okay, I'm making them better. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure whether that's a cop-out, but that's how I sometimes rationalize some of my tough expectations. And I've had so many of them come back and say, really glad I worked for you. You were tough, but you made me better. Well, you know, I think administrative support for women is particularly challenging. Um, I, for us to move into a role of leader and ask other individuals, usually women, but not always to do these things for us, you know, there, there are not many situations in our lives where we do that. Right. And we like to control all of it. And so I see some of my junior faculty women, um, underutilizing their administrative support because they just don't know how to engage these individuals. And, and they say, oh, I feel guilty. I feel guilty making her do this because I can do that. And I'm like, well, that's not the point. The point is your scope of practice is here and your administrator is to help you be as efficient as you can over here. And they really struggle with that role. So see if the admin stresses them out, see? It, it does, right? <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that just, it's something all messed up with that, isn't it? <laughs> the irony of it, right? Life's really. hard enough. <laughs> truly, truly. So along your development, you have often conformed to being one of the guys. So would you advise other women to do the same? And is there another way that you now see to succeed? Yeah, no, I would advise strongly against that um, for two reasons. Um, one is it, it's a cop out. Um, it's really not authentic to yourself, probably. Um, and then two, it's a missed opportunity to move women forward. We're we're never going to move forward in leadership if we're pretending to be one of the guys, right? I mean, we need to lead as women. That's what we bring to the table, and it's incredibly unique. And you know, data supports that it. You know, companies that invest in women do better. So, so we shouldn't pretend to be that which we are not. Um, and I, it took me a long time to learn that. In fact, I'm, I kind of, 
I view my career now as entering into the final phase. And I really kind of truly had a heart to heart talk with myself and said, okay, how do I want to leave this? What is, what is my legacy, if you will? And, and, and I reflected back and I said, you know, I want to make up for that lost time of where, you know, I acted like the tomboy. Um, I was one of the guys and then it, it, it gets so far as I missed the opportunities to truly address and educate around microaggressions, right? When in, in instead of, you know, when you had that microaggression slight here or there, um, instead of the uncomfortable laughter or just ignoring it altogether, you know, I handle those situations very differently now. Now, it's still typically with humor, um, but I don't miss an opportunity to educate people. So I think we should lead in an authentic way. And in, in whether that's, you know, what, whatever that is for you, you have to embrace that. You shouldn't adopt a persona based upon what you think you need to succeed. Yeah. And we've all been guilty of that in the past and it never feels quite right. Does it? It doesn't, it's not sustainable. It's not no. fun. No, it's not fun. You're exactly right. So do you have many close friends and are, are you difficult to be friends with? Um. I don't think I'm difficult to be friends with. Of course, nobody does, right? <laughs> um, but no, I don't have a lot of close friends. And and I, I don't invest the time to have a large cadre of, of close friends. Um, I, I do have some very close lifelong friends. Um, but to be honest, the little bit of free time that I have, I'm really truly all in with my husband, Malcolm, and, and my family. I, I don't have excessive amounts of free time. And when I do, it's spending it with them. Um, we do have a few close couple friends that we spend time with. Um, but I would say relative to my other uh, colleagues outside of medicine that I know, fewer friends. Now, it, it's my perception that many women in medicine would probably have a similar answer, not as many friends as their non-medical friends have. Mm-hmm. It's the same in engineering. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm not surprised, is. right? No. I, yeah. No. Yeah, I don't, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. So Dr. Sherry, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? You know, it's important for women to be authentic leaders and and to get the confidence to do that because it's incredibly fulfilling and it paves the way for other women behind you. And, um, and, and until we catch up, we're really going to have to um, be intentional about how to get more women to the table, how to sponsor others and, and pull everyone along. And I, and I think as women, we should commit to doing that and, and strengthening our networks. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do. We haven't made significant progress. And so if we're going to really make that lift, we're, we're going to have to work a little bit harder. Yeah. And I think that's tremendous wisdom to end our interview on. And thank you so much for being forthcoming and transparent with your journey and just for sharing so much wisdom. We could talk for hours, you know, that we could dig deep <laughs> into many of these topics for sure. But I do appreciate you taking your valuable time and giving back to this audience. Well, thanks, Annette. I appreciate it. I I really appreciate the opportunity.
Yes. And Dr. Sherry is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. <laughs> 